It made me want to go crazy. You know, like, I want to go get on a plane and go rescue an orphan. You know, I want to run down, like, Chime Street and just tell people stuff. <laughs> and uh, some of those songs that are, are being written these days um, along those lines, they, uh, they, there's this theme that's be- being woven into a lot of them about uh, us moving beyond just singing about stuff, you know? And, um, and I love that, and I feel like that is um, something that uh, is a common theme um, among, like, just the desires of our church, you know, that we don't want to just come into a place like this and sing all these things, but then live a life that is contrary to all those things, you know, once we leave, and so we want that consistency. We want um, we want the world to be changed through Jesus, and we believe wholeheartedly that He has changed us and is changing us and sends us out and to do just that. And um, so it's it's tough because I, I feel like like we all we all really want that, and whether it's the emotion of the songs or not. I mean, I think even on a Thursday we all want that. Um, we're just having to work through some other things to to get us there, and uh, and so it's awesome that we have this this vision laid out in front of us through Scripture and through all that God is doing all around us, and it's cool that He's pushing us forward. Um, so a lot of what we're trying to do now is is shake off the things that are hindering us from accomplishing that, and uh, it's going to be different for all of us, and um, that's kind of the the cool part about. A relationship with God being very personal. Before I have you turn somewhere, I want to read something to you. Um, if you were here last week, this is the text that we looked at, and we're going to kind of pick up where that left off. Is there is this feeding back? Can y'all hear that? A little bit? It's the fan? Oh, I thought it was the, the deep masculinity of my voice. <laughs> Rolling. Thanks for shooting that down. Um, in Ephesians 5, um, 18, this is what we looked at last week. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in praise, I'm sorry, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we talked about being filled with the Spirit and what that means, and that being such a, a key to us living that life every single day that is bringing glory to God and putting attention on God so that, that people are drawn to Him. And um, we looked specifically uh, at the, the be filled part and how um, you know Paul says, don't be drunk with wine because that leads to bad things, but be filled with the Spirit because that leads to good things, basically. And, and you can, and I, I hope I don't get struck down for this, but like you can, you know, his example was wine. We can find all kinds of examples of things that we fill our life with that are 
keeping us from being filled with the Spirit of God. And um, that, that word, that command to be filled, we kind of picked that apart at the end and um, looked at uh, how the word in Greek, it's a command, um, so it's not optional. Um, it is plural, so it is for every, all of us. Um, it is uh, a continuing action. So it's not just be filled once, it's you're continually being filled. And so that, need, that is something that we are constantly trying to do, is just continue to be filled with the Spirit. But then the fourth thing we looked at was that it's, it is like the action of the verb is done to the subject by an outside source, which is a nightmare to diagram in my mind, um, which is glad I'm, glad I'm not in ninth grade anymore. Um, but when you, when you think about what that means, when it says be filled, it's not something that, that you do that the action is done to you by an outside source. So God is the one who does the filling. And so it's not like you can sit down and say, I'm going to be filled with the Spirit right now. Uh, you can't do that. That's not how it works. So God does the filling, but what we do is we, we create the space. Um, if you think about, think about your life as like a Home Depot bucket, with me, the orange buckets, that was for Trent. Um, Home Depot bucket, with a bunch of stuff in it, and um, the, the things in it that are not God, all right, if that's your life, the things in it that are not God are preventing um, your life from being as full as they need to be. Now, don't, let's not tread into weird theological waters about can you be less filled with the Spirit than other times or whatever. Just go with me on this really simple analogy, okay? Um, you know from taking um, science in school that when you have objects in that bucket, um, they are taking up space that, wa- that like water could be taking up. And so the more clutter that's in there, the less water that is there. And so when, when we're talking about being filled with the Spirit, God is the one filling us. It's our job to create the space. So it's our job to get the things out of our lives that don't need to be there. Paul's example would be being drunken with wine because you're being controlled by the wine instead of the Spirit. Maybe for uh, us, it's, it's all kinds of different things in our lives. And so we're trying to um, get rid of the things that are taking up useless space. Because the more, the more of our selfish and self-centered things that are out of us, the more of Him is in us. Like John the Baptist said, uh, He must increase, but I must decrease. And so us decreasing is us getting stupid stuff out of our life that doesn't need to be there. Um, and then He does the, the increasing. Now, we're not the first group of people to ever have to like, figure out how this works. We're not the first people to struggle with um, finding satisfaction in things other than God. Because that's really what, what fills our life. That's what fills the Home Depot bucket. There are, are things that, um, that we think will make us happy, that will satisfy us, that will give us some kind of fulfillment. And we fill our lives with these things. And we're not the first people to do that. And so what I want to do tonight is I want us to look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, and um, we're going to see kind of how God handles uh, the Israelites um, very gently and lovingly, as you'll see. So turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. We're going to look at this from God's perspective, um, because I believe that, uh, that so much of what we want to see our lives become... Um, is going to happen when we get some of this stuff figured out. Because the more filled we are with the Spirit, the more um, beautiful and beneficial things um, 
will turn out of our lives. So look at Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah was a, a prophet of God in the Old Testament. Uh, prophets were um, basically like a, like a mouthpiece of God. God would speak to the people through these guys who held the office of prophet. And um, they, uh, prophet is not, especially in the Old Testament, is not just someone who would like, like foretell the future, um, but they would uh, foretell um, what God was saying. So there, that's why whenever you read um, stuff uh, by an Old Testament prophet, there's a lot of thus saith the Lord that's thrown in there because he's literally saying what God is trying to communicate to everybody. Now, Jeremiah lived during a, a, like this really crazy up-and-down time in the history of Israel. Um, he was able to serve under a really great king and then a bunch of uh, not-so-great kings. Um, and there was just all this political mess that was going on. And Jeremiah got to deliver uh, some pretty tough words to some pretty stubborn people. And um, I'm not saying that you're stubborn. I am saying that I'm stubborn. And so when I hear what God has to say to them through Jeremiah, for some reason I kind of like quantum leap into that moment there for a second where I feel like he's like speaking straight to me because I'm, I'm obstinate like that or whatever. Um, and so uh, here very early in the book of Jeremiah we see um, the, the heaviness of the messages that this guy was delivering. And um, Jeremiah gets kind of a bad rap because uh, he was just it was such an emotional thing to bring such strong words that I mean, he, he wept sometimes. And uh, so he's called the weeping prophet. But that does not make him weak because it takes a, a real man to say uh, things like this. Look at verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt, and disaster came upon them all, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me, that they went far from me, and went after worthlessness, and became worthless? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up? From the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. Prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and I will with your children's and with your children's children I will contend. For cross to the coasts of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly, utterly desolate, declares the Lord. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. <clears throat> 
That is just the beginning of some tough words that he delivers. Israelites had a problem that's, um, it seems really different than our problems at first, but then when you start thinking about it, it's really not. See, God wanted them to be uh, distinct from the people around them. He wanted them to, um, he wanted them to be able to live in this land that he gave them, surrounded by um, groups that worshipped all these false gods and idols and stuff, and he wanted them to be distinct. Um, he said, so you're going to be surrounded by all these things. And all throughout the Old Testament, he's like, he's just basically saying, do not be influenced by their worship of these idols. You worship me only. And so Israel would say, okay, yeah, 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 cool. And then next thing, next thing you know, they're drifting, and then they're worshiping idols and God, and they're just get, it's get all, it gets all mixed up. And so their whole history is this up and down uh, deal where they're really faithful to him alone, and then they get into uh, all these other things that aren't him. And so in one sense, we're like, yeah, well, I mean, we don't worship like statues and stuff. That's weird. But when you think about it, we worship lots of things that aren't God. It just maybe might not have like a face, you know, or whatever. Or it might. And so, so that was their history. They're, they were up and down. And um, so they were seeking satisfaction in something that wasn't God, which kind of like us. Now look back. Let's, let's go kind of slowly through this. Just for a few minutes. Look at verse 2, where he starts to quote. It says, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness and the land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them. Those are, that's got to be kind of haunting. You know, when he says, I remember, I remember the devotion of your youth, you know it's not going well from there. Um, and he talks about their, their trust in him and how he protected them from other people, how he led them into, in, into places where they didn't know where they were going, and he provided. And so you see that trust and that provision and that protection and the faith that's there. And, and you, not to, like... you. You don't want to over, or you don't want to romanticize this. He compares it to a bride and a groom, but I mean, let's let's keep it all in perspective. I mean, he's looking at, at the way they relate to each other, and he's saying, like, "That's how that's how I was with Israel in the beginning. You trusted me. You let me protect you. You let me provide for you. We were in covenant together." It's got to be, got to be haunting. I think we can maybe relate a little bit because they're probably everybody who's a Christian can probably look at times in your life where where your walk with the Lord was just good. You know, it was solid. It was um, it was where you wanted it to be. And we all get in places where we look back on those times and we're like, man, I wish it was like it was during this season of life or whatever. And so it's important for us to. To look at that not as like, oh, you know, remembering the good times and all nostalgic and stuff, but saying like, okay, that's how my whole life needs to be. Where, where did the wheels start to come off? Where did things go wrong? And that's a part of why, why we're doing this and why we're talking about this. Um, look at verse 5. It says, what, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? 
and went after worthlessness and became worthless. What wrong did your fathers find in me? I love, I love the Bible so much because you, you get to see all these uh, cool things, about, like just the personality of God. Because he starts out talking about how great things were, and then he's like, what, what wrong did they find in me? What wrong did your fathers find in me? It says that they began to, um, let me read it. Well, they went after worthlessness and became worthless. That's, that's a strong, strong verse. Um, it basically says that you become like the things that you worship. Now, I firmly believe that in Christ, we all have a worth that cannot be damaged or changed. And so, don't feel like that undoes everything um, on this side of the cross. But think about what he's saying. They went after things that were worthless, and they themselves became worthless. You become like the things you worship. You become like the things you fill your life with. And so, when we're processing through our lives and where you look at your life and you go back to the Home Depot bucket thing and your life is full of all this stuff and you start to take things out and you begin to unpack your life, you begin to realize that how true that statement is. I know last week I picked on guys and I'm just going to do it again, but have you ever noticed the way like guys get super, super competitive the more sports they watch? And the more into football season things get, or the more intense a game gets, or the more Halo you play. I mean, I, like, there was a time at the ring these guys would play Halo, and they eventually just had to stop. I was like, oh, why'd y'all quit? Like, because we pretty much like, got in fist fights every week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. I'm not saying that you, that you worship sports or you worship Halo or whatever. But when you begin to fill your mind and your heart with things that are that competitive or that violent or that intense, you begin to take on those things whether you realize it or not. If you, if you, um, if you fill your mind with, like, let's say, like movies or um, late-night commercials or anything that's like appropriate like that, uh, I mean, that's like in inappropriate... <laughs> eventually you become more like that so if you pursue things that are lustful you become lustful I mean it makes perfect sense I'll pick on the girls too I'm not afraid um, if you fill your life with Magazines that all they talk about is like things pertaining to appearance. It's going to make sense at some point you're going to grow really insecure. Right? If you sit around, you watch um, all these like project, whatever, runway, marathon things or whatever, don't you begin to notice what people wear all of a sudden? And become really like self-conscious about what you're wearing. I mean, I know you do, so don't act like you don't. Because we all do it. It's it's it, that's how it works. 
One time I watched like seven episodes of The Sopranos in a row. I was ready to roll. <laughs> I really was. That's how we are. And we're not the first ones. He's like, they're pursuing things that are worthless, and then they are becoming like the thing that they're filling their life with. So we wonder what, when we fill our life with all this worthless stuff, like why does our relationship with God seem so shallow and empty and so whatever? Like, well, retrace your steps. I mean, you're going back to like when you're six and you lose something and your parents say, well, let's retrace your steps. I mean, it's literally that elementary. A lot of it's just having the guts to, whenever you get back, to find out what it is to doing something about it, which a lot of times we don't. So they pursued things that were worthless, and they themselves became worthless. Let's look at the next part. They didn't say, where's the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that no one passes through, where no man dwells. I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. All right? Here's why God's awesome. All right? One more reason. God's, he says, um, okay, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and then you came in, and you did this. God's basically saying, all right, in this covenant, guess who's the problem? Not it. At some point, we have to own it, don't we? We have to admit it. In this covenant relationship, we're the ones that mess things up. When I was in college, Dr. Fred Luter came and he preached at TNT one time and he made us all like make a pointer finger and point at ourselves and say, you are the problem. And he literally made us all do it. But if you ever heard him preach, like you didn't mind because he could tell you to do anything and you'd do it. So there's, a, there's 200 college students in there going, you are the problem, you are the problem. But that's, I mean, that's what we needed to hear. Because we live in a culture that's all about blaming people. We blame our upbringing, we blame genetics, we blame our bosses, we blame our professors, we blame our roommates, we blame our, our spouse, we blame... And we're always blaming people, And when in reality, um, I'm the problem. What's sad is that blaming tendency carries over to our relationship with God. And we may, never, we may not be so bold as to shake our finger at him and say, well, you haven't done this and you haven't done this and whatever, but let's face it, a lot of times we're filling our life with things that are worthless because we don't like the, the things that God has brought our way. In a roundabout way, we, we blame him. Because our lives haven't turned out necessarily the way we wanted them to. And our plan that we made when we were 20, we had our whole lives mapped out. It went wrong like four days later, and nothing's ever been right, and it's all God's fault. When it comes to being filled with the Spirit, the issue is not on His side of the deal. I am the problem. It's an important, important thing for us to embrace and to own. Look at verse 9. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. God does not joke around about this. Unfortunately, we're really like 
you know, uh, we do things halfway a lot of times in life. And I think sometimes we think our relationship with God is, is kind of a joke, kind of one of those optional deals. But in a covenant relationship, when one person breaks the covenant, the other person doesn't just laugh it off. In a marriage relationship, that is not the way it works. And so why would we think in a covenant with God that it would be any different? If anything, it should be more intense when we are unfaithful to Him. Look at 10 and 11. Um, it says, For cross to the, to the coast of Cyprus and see, or to Kendar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people, all right, he's still very possessive. My people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. You, he's like, you, you, have, you, had it, you have it made in this covenant relationship, and you have exchanged that for something that is completely worthless. You are a Home Depot bucket that has the potential to be completely empty and filled with only the Spirit of God, yet you're constantly forcing other things in there. Completely stupid. He's saying this is unprecedented. He's like, you will not find an example of this anywhere on, on the earth to the Israelites. Verse 12, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate. For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The first thing, first evil, the first sin is forsaking him. I mean, that's, you read Jeremiah thoroughly, and there's a lot of adulterous terminology used. That's the way he equates it. You ever think about like sin as a like sin against God as like adultery? I, I definitely don't, you know. But maybe maybe something that's helpful for us is to think about it from God's perspective for once instead of from ours. Maybe you read in the book of Hosea at some point and realizing that. God doesn't just look at us as someone he's in a contract with. And again, not to over-romanticize it, because I think that's messed up, but it is like a husband and wife. Like Of the things on earth we can understand, he picked the one that is the closest thing we understand to that kind of devotion and commitment. But really, it goes so far beyond that. So First he says, you've forsaken me. And he says, but you've gone out on your own and you've dug your own cisterns. Now, so he describes himself as, as living water, but you've dug cisterns. Um, when I was in, in Israel, I, I got to see some, some of what this means. Um, over there, uh, this might shock you, it's really dry and really rocky. And um, so, like, we, at times we would walk across this plain and, like, you would just see nothing but rocks and, like, an occasional, like, Occasional, like, camel, like, seriously, just walking. It was awesome. Um, and, and so every now and then, like, you would, you would see, like, some houses or something like that. And anywhere you saw houses or whatever, it's because there was water there. I and mean, that makes sense. 
Look at every, I mean, even over here, look at every like major city. They're always on the water. I mean, that was all about trade. And I mean, life and water go together. Um, but living water um, over in Israel, and especially like in the ancient Near East, um, any water that arrived by its own power was living water. We would call it fresh water. Rain, uh, springs, um, streams, rivers, like anything that is like getting there on its own from their perspective was alive. That was the like that was the ideal water source. It was clean. It was uh, you didn't have to worry about it being stagnant and having you know bacteria and stuff like that. Um, they knew that stagnant water made you sick. They may not have had a microscope figured out, but they knew that that was bad and that anything flowing and coming on its own was good. And so for them. Um, that was a really big deal. If you didn't have, if you had this chunk of property and you didn't have living water on your property, then you would dig a well where the water would seep into the well. And so that was, that was okay, um, not nearly as good as living water, but it would do. Um, then there was, there was a cistern, so there's all kind of limestone everywhere, and so they would, they would dig out this big, like a big hole, or like, like kind of like digging a well into the rock, and then they would um, dig these trenches all the way around so that whenever it did rain, it would all run down into this big, big cistern deal. And they would plaster it and try to seal it up so that it wouldn't leak or whatever. And um, that was the least desirable kind of water that you could get uh, because it would sit there for a long time. And that's where a lot of the bacteria would be and stuff like that. But also, uh, you just really they weren't advanced enough uh, to be able to really make a good seal. And so it would rain... And you would collect some water in the cistern, but it wasn't too long before that would be gone. And so he makes this comparison. He says, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out or dug out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This would be absolutely ridiculous for someone who lived during this time. Like, if you were a landowner and you had living water on your property, I mean, that was, you, there's no way you would dig a cistern. That would be totally stupid. I got a dog this week, and I was outside with her yesterday, and she's got food sitting there, and I look over, and she's chewing on a rock. <laughs> like, six inches from a bowl of food, she's chewing on a rock. Okay? It's kind of the same thing. Completely stupid. I was baffled. I think God is baffled. In this, I think he's just has you just can't understand it. Now I was trying to think, you know, like why would why would you dig a cistern when you had living water? Like if you just go with a, like the property uh, owner, you know, angle of things. I think one thing is, is that maybe maybe you didn't have faith that the living water was going to just continually flow. You know, and maybe you're like, yeah, I mean, it's this river's passing through here, but what happens when it dries up? I mean, I got to dig a cistern and kind of store up some water and all this kind of stuff. So basically, you don't trust the living water that it's going to continue. Or maybe you just like having both. You know, like maybe there's just safety in knowing that you have them both. And so um, it's not that you prefer one over the other. You're just like trying to get all your bases covered or whatever. But really that just comes down to the third one I thought of, which is you just think you know better. And that's really what, what happens when we, we dig our own cisterns when we fill our lives with things that are worthless, 
when we seek satisfaction in something that is not God, it's because we think we know better than he does. And, and that's pride. And we, I mean, it's like we know that, but I mean, how many times have we just gotten really just furious with our, the condition of our lives? Um, or the really, not the condition, but like the, the situations in our lives? And you just get mad. Well, it's because you think you know better than God. I know I always reference like being single because I am single, so I can do that. But I mean, I talk to people all the time who are like, man, it just makes me mad that I'm not married yet. I'm like, you're 19. <laughs> Chill out, you know? <laughs> all right. But, no, but, um, but we get bitter because our lives haven't turned out the way we thought. Maybe it's about being married. Maybe it's about dating somebody. Maybe it's about um, having kids. Maybe it's about having, like, owning your own home at this point. I mean, whatever. It could be a number of things. Landing in your career or whatever. And we get all mad and we're like, oh, why would, I wish God would just do this, you know. And basically we'd be like, I know better than you about my life. Trust me with this. I got a broken sister in here. Come on. Trust me. And God's like, quit chewing on a rock. You dummy. Quit filling your life with stuff that's worthless. It doesn't profit you. It doesn't profit anybody. And the thing is, God's not just, like, I'm sitting there at my dog just being like, why are you chewing on a rock? You're so dumb. But God's, look at his wording, be appalled. He's talking to the heavens. He's like, hey, everybody, be appalled at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate. I'm shaking my head at my dog being like, you're so dumb. And God's, every possible emotion you can think of, he's going nuts. He's devastated by this in their lives. He's devastated by this in our lives. Because we're on this side of Jesus. And so we have the spirit of God inside of us. I mean, so we're like, we're hooked up. And we still do that. And so the bottom line is quit filling your life with stuff that's worthless and doesn't profit you. And I don't know what that, how it fits into your life, you know. I think for some it could be a discipline thing. For some, like I said last week, it could be like literally like how much TV we watch, how much knowledge of useless things we have as com- like when you contrast that with like how well we know the scriptures, how well we can explain the gospel to someone, you know? Maybe it's about prayer, you know? Maybe it's about, I mean, it, may, it could be a number of things. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what is, I mean, to go back to the bucket, I don't know what's in the bucket for you. But I know in my life, I know the things that are worthless. I just got to have the guts to get in there and do something about it. And I can see that pattern. The more the things I fill my life with, I become like them. And, and I hate it. And I really feel like God's like, all right, well, let's do something about it. Quit whining. He does the filling. We create the space. And I think for us, a lot of it comes down to learning to be completely satisfied in Him alone. It's almost like we worry that like, if we take some of these things out of our lives, that where, where's my satisfaction going to come from? 
where's my fulfillment? Where's my identity? Where's my whatever? And he's like, see, that's the thing. It's just, it's re replaced. You take worthless things out and the most worthwhile and worthful, that's not a word, uh, whatever, worthy, there you go. Take something worthless out and something worthy comes in. I mean, that's, how beautiful is that? And so I think the application is, one, I need to begin to see how ridiculous it is for me to dig a broken cistern when I have living water, first of all. You know, God help me see the ridiculousness of that situation. And then, I just got to do work. I got to man up. And I can't put that on anybody else. I can't blame anybody else. That comes down to my walk with him. And that's awesome. So I don't know where this fits into your life or what, but um, let's be faithful with it. And so here's kind of how we do things um, on Sunday nights at the ring. Um, we're going to do another song or two and just kind of give everybody some time to process this because we could really easily just jump to the end and, and jet and maybe some of the things that got us stirred up. Maybe you need a little bit of time where I'm not talking. So uh, we're going to give you that. So let me pray for us. We'll sing a little bit. We'll go home. Okay. God, thank you. You have um, blessed us and cared for us like no other. And so many of the things that we look to fill our lives with, we think they're going to satisfy us and make us happy and whatever. If it's not you, it is broken. And um, God, I pray that you just get us to a point where we just we don't want to live that way. Not just because these things don't work, but because these things are not you. Now we want to value you and trust you and return just like you said in the beginning of that chapter like a bride who trusts and um, accepts protection and provision so God I pray that the more we um, the more we find our fulfillment in you God may you just make everything else look completely ridiculous to us.